Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Pama Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Uh, and uh, I am really excited about this episode. It's going to be a lot of fun because with me today is my friend, Jenna DeWitt. Welcome back to the show. Always good to be here, James. Yeah, it's really good to have you back here. Uh, and we're going to have a lot of fun today because we're talking about Taylor Swift and the Enneagram and a whole lot of other things. Taylor Swift related, identity related. So this is going to be really good fun. <laughs> we're both big, we're both kind of Taylor Swift fans. So um, Jenna more than me even. So um, we've had numerous conversations about Taylor Swift on Twitter. If you follow either of us or both of us. Um, and um, Jenna wrote a thread on Twitter about Taylor Swift and the Enneagram. Uh, and I thought this would be a really interesting conversation for the podcast. So here we are. Um, yeah. Um, so tell us about, I guess, tell us a bit about your kind of journey with Taylor Swift and then kind of how you got into thinking about this, these ideas that you kind of wrote down in relation to the Enneagram. Yeah, well, okay. So I am about 10 months, 10 months and 10 days actually older than her. So we are pretty much the same age, born in 1989. Um, I remember from the very first, I um, I grew up in New Mexico slash West Texas, like right on the border. So very much into the country music scene. And country music in the 90s was really um, a good place for strong women. We had Shania Twain. Um, eventually you get Carrie Underwood. And so you're coming into this world of Reba and um Dixie Chicks and these women who um, are strong and they know what they want. And that's very much the the Texas women that I grew up with. Um, they have these big personalities. And so um, we watched the videos, the music videos on the country music television, CMT, um, on our sleepovers. We'd have the get togethers with the girls and all watch sleepover uh, music videos together. And one of the music videos that premiered, I remember these, everybody's running around, you know, as you do at a party when you're kids. And, um, the Tim McGraw music video comes on and it was like her first real premiere is her first big single. And so um, she's singing this song and we're like, Oh, we love Tim McGraw. It's a song about Tim McGraw. <laughs> and so um, I remember this girl thinking like, wow, she's our age. Like, this is me. This is somebody I can relate to. And I mean, we know nothing like she is blonde and blue eyed and tall and thin. And I'm the opposite of all of that. Um, but, you know, I, I just remember thinking like, oh, this isn't like these women like Reba I looked up to were older, um, but this was somebody my age for the first time I really seeing myself represented. Um, and that has been a selling point for Taylor is that she was talking about high school issues. You know, the, it was really a big thing that when we were in middle school or, or in high school, there was somebody that was talking what it was like to be a teenager, not what it was like to be married or divorced or, you know, having a baby or these things that were more relatable to people in their twenties and thirties and forties. Um, but someone at our level. And so that's been something that has been really interesting. That she knows as well is that her fans are often growing up with her. And so um, her diary means so much to us, like her songs um, because they become the soundtrack to our diaries and our life as we live them. Um, so watching her grow up and um, having the song 22 come out the year that I was 22, I was a little bit older at that point. Um, I had turned 23 by then, but you know, it's like you get these songs that are reflecting your era of life of 
um, she talked about moving to New York. And that was around the time that I was leaving home to do my job and to be out on my own in my own apartment. And, you know, so we have, we have these kind of um, similar things that we go through just because we're the same age cohort. Um, So that's kind of where my um, origin story of Taylor Swift goes is that there's points in my life where she's singing songs like tied together with a smile, which is about perfectionism. And we'll get into that with the Enneagram three stuff. But, um, and I was related to that. I was walking around my college campus, listening to this song thinking like, yeah, that's like, I'm putting on a smile for the rest of the world, but inside I'm really heartbroken about things and having a hard time. Um, so I, I think that's, that's the beauty of Taylor is that she's got something for every stage of life. Cause we got to watch her grow up as we were growing up as well with that, um, that group of elder millennials. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I get that. I get that completely. Um, yeah, we didn't, <laughs> it's funny because my generation didn't really have that. I think, I always think the voice of my generation was kind of um, Kurt Cobain in many mm, ways. Yeah. Teen- teenagers growing up in the 90s, you know, he was just a bit older than than us. Um, and he kind of represented a lot of what we were saying. Um, unfortunately, he uh, obviously took his own life. So we didn't get to hear any more of his story. But yeah, so I, in that aspect, I, I completely relate and, and understand that, that there's a whole generation of people who've grown up at the same time as Taylor and have kind of gone through a lot of her life experiences at the same time, the same life experiences or similar. Uh, And definitely. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I connected with her. I think, I mean, I was aware of her before and I'd I'd heard a few of her songs and really enjoyed them, but I think I really connected with her around reputation um, because that was like right at the point of my deconstruction and, like really just letting go of everything and kind of beginning to name who I was. And that's basically what that kind of what that, that album felt like it was about. It was kind of being honest and raw about who she was and where she was um, and things are being said about her at the time. Um, yeah. And ever since then, I've really been kind of curious and interested in her story and in, in her music. And it's, it's fascinating. So, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting stuff. And so where did this kind of, these these ideas, these thoughts about um, Enneagram 3 uh, and the Enneagram related to Taylor um, come from? And what are they? Right, yeah. So, um, yes, uh, let me start out with some Enneagram things in case your listeners aren't familiar. Um, so I am not a certified Enneagram coach or anything like that. I'm just using the Enneagram because it provides a shorthand of talking about some really core human experiences. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, if you don't relate to this language, or if some of it sounds like you, but not all of it, or if you're not a fan of the Enneagram, um, just know I'm not talking about the Enneagram itself um, so much as using it as a communication tool, um, some shorthand to talk about a common experience that a lot of people share. So um, some of you might relate to this um, in one specific relationship in your life. Um, you might relate to it more in your job. Um, or it might feel like reading your diary. I don't know. Um, but everybody has a little bit of this in there. Um, if this is your main thing, you might be an Enneagram 3. So what is it? Generally, people fall into nine general types. And each of those types has two wings. Um, and it gets more complicated than that. But um, the simple way to explain it is just that you have a core number. And then your wings are the numbers on either side of yours. For a 3, 
that would be the number two and the number four is three, you know, two, three, four. Um, so um, I have a three as my number and my wing, that's kind of like, like your side helping, like you get a little bit of another number is four. So three wing four. Uh, threes are known most for being achievers. We have deep ambitions. We've got this checklist. We are all about efficiency. Um, for us, it's not just about being good, but being good in ways that will be useful toward our ultimate goal. So being seen being good. And our ultimate goal is being loved. So we have this part of our brains that tells us the only way to be loved is to earn it. We have to hustle for our worthiness, to borrow a face from Brene Brown. Um, Taylor Swift is a great example of a three wing four, because like she says in Miss Americana is her documentary on Netflix, um, the ethic that drives her and has since she was a child is the need to be thought of as good. She quotes, the main thing that I always tried to be was a good girl. She says growing up and into her twenties, she tried to be trained to be happy when she got a lot of praise and for performing. She says, I became the person everyone wanted me to be. Like that, that's just the killer line for all of us who look back at our young years and think, okay, like I've arrived, I'm an adult now, um, but is this what I wanted? Does anyone know who the real me is? I just became the person everyone wanted me to be. Yeah, that's powerful. It is powerful. And I remember that clip. I, I watched a documentary yesterday and I remember saying that and I thought, wow. Yeah, and I remember I, I remember thinking that that's a that's such an Enneagram three thing as well. Um, yeah, and to be honest, I mean it's not just Enneagram threes that 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 often want to be seen as good. We many of us want to be seen as good, mm-hmm. and we want to be seen as uh, and loved 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 for it. Um, especially in you know the world that we live in, the culture that we live in, which is all about image and perception and you know um, branding and all these kind of things. It's, often, it's, it's like it can often be like more important what, how people perceive us or how how we're seen by other people than actually what's really going on underneath, and and we can almost be encouraged sometimes to get our value from what others think about us, uh, from what others say about us, or what others pay us for, or how much we earn, rather than just having our inherent value in being in who we are. Um, yeah, I think. I think that's really relatable. So there's a double bind that comes with a three, and especially a female three. Um, it's the trope of the try-hard. Nobody likes a try-hard. And there's this idea in celebrity culture, especially, that everything must be effortless. Um, so when a woman in particular is trying too hard, that's seen as a bad thing. But why? People say this about Taylor. They say about Anne Hathaway. There's so many women who are stuck in this spot because their authentic self is wanting to be good and is wanting to try hard and is wanting to succeed. So, Mm -hmm. but this doesn't happen with men. People don't look at men in any industry and say, oh, well, he's unlikable because he works too hard. Sure, like success takes a lot of privilege. I'm not denying that. But it takes work. It takes trying hard to succeed. That's in any industry, you have to work hard. And so what is wrong with that of like wanting to, be authentic and say like, I am working hard for this goal and I want you to know about it, that there's a strategy to it. Um, you're exploring who you want to be and seeing what fits and what works and all that. Um, but that you're doing it in a calculated way um, because success is calculated. It is like, that's everyone has to work hard at it and try hard. And um, no one's, you know, actually good at something the first time we do it. It's, <laughs> you know, people call them like one hit wonders or, you know, you get this, um, 
the rookie, the success, the new artist of the year. And it's like, they've been working at this for 10 years. Like they're not a new artist. They're just new to you. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. We get yeah. we get made fun of, we get roasted, we get um, you know, we get trolled on the internet if we make the wrong call, um, or if we make the right call but isn't what people want. Uh if, but here's the other thing. The double bind is if you're too perfect and too good, they come after you. Because if you're not interesting enough and you're not making them feel better about their own bad habits, then um you're not relatable. So it's, it's this one thing, two things. It's like, if you're trying too hard, it's not even clear if people dislike it because you feel authentic, like you're too authentic, you're too genuine, you're letting people see parts of you they don't want to see, or because it feels inauthentic of like, does it look fake that like nobody, nobody could be that good. So you're really screwed either way. <laughs> so Taylor said it, Miss McConnell, she's telling this man about, um, about sexism, but it's part of the three thing too. Because there's constant strategy in your head of how not to be shamed for something on any given day. But then you get accused of being calculated for having a strategy. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that part as well. Yeah. Yeah, because everything, yeah, because, yeah. And, and you know, as, 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 a, as a white man, I, I have incredible privilege. I don't have to justify my, myself in that way. And it, it, I mean, it's wrong. It shouldn't be like that. You know, women shouldn't have to prove themselves any more than men do. Um, but they, they often do. And that's not how it should be. Um, you know, and like you say, like having a, you know, having, having a plan, having a strategy is called being calculated. And that, that's not, that's, that's wrong as well. It's nothing wrong with having a plan, nothing wrong with being prepared. Um, yeah. And I remember in that, in that movie where they, where she was, about to post an Instagram post about politics for the first time. And she had to, they had to go through different drafts. They had to, she had to sit with her publicist and talk about it. They had to have this kind of big moment in her house with her publicist and people around her supporting her doing it um, emotionally um, because it was such a big deal. Uh, and, uh, and yeah. Uh, and, and that's because what, what she says has implications, you know, and because there could be pushback and because, you know, and we saw it, they, they showed it in the movie, what everyone's, what everyone said about it and how it got into the news and, you know, how it affected voter registration and all of those kind of things. And it was, and yeah, like you've got to have a strategy because if you, because if you don't, you, you're not going to be prepared and, you know, can get, you can get overwhelmed. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having a strategy, like you say. Yes. That's the advantage of being an artist as a three, because um, people who are artists just as fours and maybe don't have that wing, um, they have the creativity and the expression and um, they know who they are and they want to get that out there. Um, but the three side of it really brings into it that strategy that um, how much vulnerability is safe to share, um, where the boundaries are, um, you know, having that sense of um professional, this is, this is a job and this is what I bring to my job and I'm doing it as work and not necessarily doing it as your identity. And that's something that we really fight as three wing fours because, um, since our value is authenticity, um, what we're sharing, like the, the success in our lives, um, is often our authentic, our authentic experiences. Um, and so that's, that's really difficult to keep that in mind that like, this is a job. And this is uh, other people will be doing their job. And sometimes that job is to critique me. Um, and so I think that's can be beneficial because the three 
like when she doesn't win a Grammy for um, Red, she says, okay, I'll make a better album. And like you get right back to work and you just pour yourself into it of proving to people that you really are as good as you think you are. Um, and she does. She, from the very beginning as a teen, she just almost made people uncomfortable, like disarmed people because she was so confident. Like even when her performances weren't perfect or her voice was a little weaker, she hadn't developed it yet because you're a teenager and sometimes it takes a while. Um, but she would go in and shake people's hands and introduce herself. And she knew she was confident that she was the next big thing. And that's what it takes is you have to have that sense of purpose and of intentionality to it. But there's nothing accidental. You don't just become a star because someone handed it to you. You have to like call every radio station in America and you know do the hard work of getting your name out there um, to build that platform. And then she does it for others along the way is that um, you know, she invites people on these tours. Uh, Dua Lipa opened for her and the reputation to her first opener too. Like, you know, half the stadium's not even there yet kind of thing. Like it's just a couple people hanging out while it's still daylight. And now here, two or three years later, Dua Lipa's up against her for Grammys. And <laughs> so it's like you, yeah. you pick those people up and you bring them along with you. And um, it's a cyclical thing of having that level of confidence to get yourself there. And then also having that level of confidence um, to be able to say, this is where music's going and I want you on my team. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's so admirable. It really is that drive. Um, I'm, I'm an Enneagram four wing five, right? So I have all that creativity and all that imagination and all that kind of, all those dreams, but I don't have, I don't have the kind of strategies and, almost like the professionalism in a way of of a of a of a four of a, of a three to be able to kind of disconnect myself from responses or disconnect myself from um the work and kind of disassociate from my identity because it's because it's just because for me i suppose art is just who i am uh and i have to be authentic and just have to be vulnerable and be me uh, and there's very little. It's very difficult to disconnect the work from me. Um, and if I get feedback that's negative, being especially being highly sensitive as well, it would be it, it's it's much more difficult for me to just go. Well, that's what they think. I'm gonna go and make something better. Um, but I'm jealous of threes. I'd love to be have more of a three. In, <laughs> have more of a three in my uh, in my personality. I think I've got. I think it was my third highest. I did the Enneagram test. I think like just four and four and five are almost the same, and then three was the next one down. So maybe I've got a bit of three in there. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, and I mean everybody has a little bit of all of them, but especially if you're a four, like you're developing your other wing, and that's that's really beneficial. I, th- I do think I want to point out though that something that's really hard for threes that I think her four wing really benefits from, and mine does as well. Um, and you can probably see this too in yourself is that um, learning to be yourself. Um, so part of that authenticity is not just sharing um, as a strategy, um, but sharing out of who you really are, um, whether somebody's going to like it or not. And so I think that's a really critical lesson we can take away um, when we get to folklore and evermore from, um, you know, she goes through all of these different eras of, you know, reinventing herself, really. Um, and that's a very core three thing is that we're comfortable in one genre and then we're comfortable you know, we might be somebody different with somebody else and all these people in our lives. Suzanne Stabile talks about this in her book, The Path Between Us, but 
that threes often, if you show up to a threes funeral, you won't even recognize each individual eulogy because um, we are so different with other different genres. And I, I think that that's true with Taylor too, is that she, she can do country, she can do the pop stuff, she can do more of this um, folk uh, alternative singer-songwriter things. And so um, you step into who you really are, and especially women as we grow into our 30s, threes, um, lots of different facets playing into this here. Um, but we look at that and we can say, oh, she's found who she really is, that storyteller. Um, and you just have to put it out there, even though it's different than anything people know. It's not safe. It's not what other people are putting on the charts right now. Um, you know, she's never going to be the uh, high note diva, you know, <laughs> that other female songwriters are. And so you just have to write your own story and not just define fame or fortune, um, but to find acceptance and belonging. And that's what that story is all about for threes and fours is to some degree for all of us, you find out who you are. And not only do you want to share that, um, but our core desire is to want that authentic self to be loved and appreciated and validated. Um, when it's not, shame can feel like the worst possible thing. Um, that's part of the three, two, threes and fours on the Enneagram is that shame is a big driver for us. Um, but maturity is learning to risk that shame, learning to have that shame tolerance, learning to have that vulnerability as Brene, just, Brene Brown describes it as a uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. And when you've got that level of vulnerability defined that way, um, you can't let that fear of failure keep you from trying new things or revealing who you really are to fulfill your courage and to, to be courageous in your story. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's right. <laughs> Um, and the next thing that you talk about is um, um, some quotes from Taylor. Mm -hmm. Like, if it don't be everything I've done prior, we'd still be doing it as a colossal failure, um, which I remember is from that documentary again. Um, and when you're living for the approval of strangers, that's where you derive your joy on bad thinking cause everything to crumble. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Yeah. I love how she talks about um, it's a deconstruction of a belief system, which I think really resonates for a lot of people in our circles and a lot of people who listen to this podcast. Um, because for threes and fours, especially, we have to deconstruct our beliefs and motives and values. And those beliefs and motives and values are often, as Taylor says, um, learning to be happy without anyone else's input. Um, what would it look like in your life if you were happy and loved and felt belonging simply for who you are? And not for what anyone else thinks of you, or for how you're perceived, or what's popular, or how you compare to anyone else, that comparison and competition. Um, personally, I think Taylor will be wrestling that with her, for the rest of her life. I think threes and fours will be wrestling with that. And I know personally, I will be. I, the rest of my life is um, going to be learning to be authentically who I am, and being happy and loved and feeling belonging without feeling that need to fit in, to change myself, to um, become someone lovable. Um, but it does get easier with time and practice. So I, I think that that's a possibility, of course. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. And I've noticed in my journey, uh, a kind of transformation that that's part of what it is about. It's letting go of the need to impress others, letting go of the need to be what everyone expects me to be, or what everyone wants me to be, or what everyone has thought I was. And actually just connect with the person that I've always been, connect with my, my, my true self, um, my embodied self, um, my deeper consciousness, which, you know, all the kind of de deconstruction, transformation, therapy, all of that 
has helped me do the embodiment work and start to listen to my intuition and start to listen to myself. And, and that's, that's, that's quite, I guess it can be quite scary because you don't know what you're going to find, but it's also an adventure um, because you're becoming your more authentic self. Uh, And, and when you get to that place and you finally at peace with that, then you don't have to prove yourself for anybody. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, that's it right there is for us to grow into maturity we often go through that rebellious phase, that deconstruction phase. It's this evolution from, um, am I good enough? And the nice girl or the good boy. And you watch Miss Americana, she's got these ones where people say like, oh, well, what do you think about things? And she's like, oh, you know, everything's fine. And like has this, she just has this like tight lip smile where she's like clearly keeping everything in um, for years because that's how you're trained to be as a woman in the spotlight is don't tell people what to think. Don't give your real opinions. Just sing and shut up. And, um, I, I think we have to all do that in some way is, um, we go from this, like, am I good enough? And then we might earn it actually. And it gets us somewhere and it does, it does pay off. It does get a success on the top of the world. Um, then something comes and makes us hit rock bottom, whether that's a job loss or layoff, or, um, maybe your family isn't what you thought it was going to be. You have a kid that's not who you planned, you know, um, financial issues that can be, I mean, anything, um, you know, that can get in the way of this success that we've planned. We've strategized and we planned and we made it to the top and we were nice enough. And then something happens and we have this, I call it a Phoenix moment. I just want to burn it all down. We, uh, you know, so tempting to like, just go dark on social media, take it all down, um, change your name, <laughs> you know, she, she goes underground for like a year or two. Um, and then there's a line in reputation when she emerges, that's like the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Cause she's dead. <laughs> oh, I love that line. Yeah. So, so we like, go to the- like I always, yeah. Whenever I listen to that song, I always like put myself in there. Like yeah. it's so empowering that song. Honestly, I always feel really empowered by that song and it's that, I always imagine myself talking to that. I'm talking to the person that traumatized me, the the person that betrayed me, the person that stole my writing, the person that stole my ideas, the person that tried to kill my right, kill me as a writer. Um, but it's, it probably isn't just him. It's probably anyone who's hurt me, anyone who's tried to kick me down, anyone who's tried, anyone who's traumatized me, or just my trauma generally, like, um, or anyone that's tried to define me or pigeonhole me. You know, that song is just, it's so powerful. That's why, that's why I really love that album. <laughs> that's why I really connected with Taylor, uh, Taylor's work right then, because I felt, I felt the emotion in that. I felt the energy in that and I connected with that. Well, and I think that's yeah. really empowering. I'm going to get back to that in a second, but I think that there's a journey we have to go on there. So you and I know that it's not just about deconstruction. You can't end there. It's about the reconstruction of like, who do you want to be? So we know what you don't believe but what do you believe? And we know who you aren't anymore and you don't want to be who they say you are and just um, appealing to someone else. But what do you want? Who are you? You know, what is authenticity look like? And I think that rebirth, if we process through and even through whole of reputation, but all the way through folklore and evermore, it's surprising. The old Taylor isn't dead. It's she's not dead at all. It's she gets back to her roots of the authenticity of, um, it's the girl who sang about teardrops on guitars and about Romeo and Juliet. And that's the same girl that we see there um, in folklore and evermore. She's just telling stories. And um, whether you feel like you're losing yourself or trying to figure it out um, apart from the applause or 
the men in suits that are trying to tell you what to do or the trophies that, you know, the sales data and everything. Um, the mm. part of the point is remembering what made you, you apart from um, any measure of success. What part of yourself is there is the core nature of who you are. That's always been there since the beginning and is true to the type of person that you want to be growing into the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost a rediscovery of who you've always been. That's what I've found in my, my journey. It's, 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 a, it's kind of a discovery of who I've always been. In some senses, I didn't know I was that person until I did this journey, right? I didn't know that I was always this person, but I'm now finding that I've always been this person. Like, I didn't know I was, I didn't know I was a communicator. I didn't know I was a conversationalist. I didn't know that I could curate conversations and, and stories and things like that. I didn't know that was who I was. And I started doing it almost by accident. And I discovered, oh, yeah. That is who I am. That's part of who I am. And I guess that gives me a bit, what you said kind of gives me a bit of confidence in myself as a writer because I'm, I want to discover, rediscover that part of me. But who I am has changed. So what does that look like? What does the writer look like for me now? What, you know, where am I going to go back to? What am I going to write about? You know, um, but, yeah, maybe Taylor's Jelly can give us encouragement that maybe – even if we think things, parts of us have, we've lost can be reclaimed and rediscovered um, because they're still part of who we are. And I think there's a question of what do we do with that? So like um, often when something happens to us, obviously anger is a huge emotion. And so for threes, anger can be really empowering, which can be good or it can be bad. Um, with Taylor, you've got these songs about like overcoming heartache and proving everyone wrong and I'm going to show them. And that's like, yes, I can totally get behind that. Um, when we fail or we get called out or we feel shame, it's not like revenge as in hurting someone directly or attacking their work is bad, but revenge is in like making the criticism look ridiculous because we are untouchably good and powerful. So, um, it's exhausting because that means we have to hustle harder than ever. And we have no guarantee that the public opinion will change or that the other person will even care. Uh, <laughs> will they even listen to this album? Will they even read your book? Like, you don't know that they're even going to know that you put out a book. And so it's like this drive to like, we're going to we're gonna have um, a bigger pr process behind it. We're just going to do bigger and better things that no one can deny. We'll have the receipts to prove that we are really, really great. Um, but so on the worst side of this, is that sometimes we get so embroiled in that drama and conflict um, when there are much bigger problems in the world that could really actually use our influence. Um, but at best, it means something. It means something. We, we, for Taylor, she uh, has these major business deals that go down and she exposes the misogyny behind the scenes of the music industry. And she can steward this influence to make sure that artists are paid fairly on streaming platforms like she did with Apple Music and then later with Spotify and her own masters and the symbolic $1 in her Me Too trial and voting rights and LGBTQ issues. Um, and she states with each of these, that they're like purposely stewarding her privilege. Like she acknowledges her privilege. It's not about her, uh, but it's about going, going through this process and the stress and spending all this money on these things uh, for the people who don't have that power and privilege and money. Um, so it's anger that can be strategized and channeled into a stand and not just used for crafting an image in a shallow way, but um, it makes your experiences serve a purpose. That's where three wing four can thrive in anger. Um, where we don't 
<laughs> and I'll admit this myself, we can get fixated on those slights and drama and uh, those moments when someone doesn't like us or accept us or treat us fairly. Uh, it's really easy to slip into this darkness where we're so driven to achieve and to prove them wrong. And um, to be honest, speaking from personal experience myself, um, most of the time everyone else has moved on. So like it actually hurts our image more when we're fixated on that need to win and to prove them wrong and to be better and everything. And we can get so intense about it that we miss out on other things, like even things that would be good for us to focus on. Um, so outside perspective is really crucial. I think for every three wing four um, and just everyone in general, we need someone who can tell us to let go and someone who can tell us to keep pressing in. When, when do you need to be like Elsa and just let go? And then when do we need to lean in and um, really pursue things that are, are worth digging our anger into and changing changing the systems and um, getting justice? Um, therapy is really crucial. Uh, maybe for you, it's a mentor or spiritual leader or friends who have some more life experience than you do. Um, so the lesson here is, yes, feel your anger. Anger is a good emotion. We need to feel emotions and not just numb ourselves to them. Um, but we use that emotion to create something bigger and better as fuel. Um, but don't let that fuel consume you. Um, so chances are it wasn't as big a deal to everyone else as it was to you or to your nemesis. Uh, so what's better than revenge? Shake it off. <laughs> That's your Taylor reference. There's your songs. Yeah, exactly. There's always a song, isn't there? <laughs> There's a Taylor song for everything. That song really annoyed me. I have to say, when it first came out, because it was because I was I was working in an office at the time, and, and we had a radio, oh. and it was on every day, that like three or four times a day, and I got really yeah. like annoyed about that. So uh, I liked it at first, and then I like heard it like twenty times a week, and I was like, Ugh. like <laughs> like turn it off. Um, but it's actually quite a fun song. Um, yeah, but but you're right, you're right, yeah, and. She is a great example of how you can channel that anger at injustice and and use it to do something good. Like when you've got a platform, I, I've always believed that if you've got a platform, that's a responsibility. Uh, it's a it is a privilege, and it's a, and you should use it. You know, you can. It's an opportunity to do some good in the world. To use your influence, to use your platform to uh, help the marginalised, help the people, help people in need, to speak out for people who don't have the same platform privilege um and you know advocate for causes and that's what she's doing that's what taylor's been doing um and all the things you talked about there you know lgbtq equality and uh, and other things like that it, it, she's done a lot of speaking out about that and that's really really positive use of a platform but again like you say not getting consumed by the anger but actually channeling it into into something that's focused and planned that can make a difference. And that's a really good thing. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of that too, so we, we have the anger and we take ourselves seriously and um, learn how to take ourselves seriously in the sense that she says she had to get educated first. You have to um, steward that platform and know the power that you hold um, and, and learning to take ourselves more seriously like that. But then I think also on the other hand, we have to take ourselves not too seriously um, because that's kind of how you can build resilience. Um, so, Taylor's really funny. Like even early on, she was on SNL and she was in some cheesy movies and her lyrics are really clever and, and witty. Um, and I mean, there's something to be said for consent here. Like when you're making someone a butt of a joke, it's not the same thing as when they are joking themselves. Um, but she does make fun of herself with the, we're never getting back together and the, who's Taylor Swift anyway? <laughs> 
<laughs> the, you know, just, she has these uh, parodies of herself, like um, Blank Space and, and Reputation. She has all the different eras of her past selves with like, oh, stop being so annoying. And, <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's, it's art. Like even some of this is a play on her name with the Swifty and satire with Jonathan Swift of like, you know, putting things up seriously and then meaning that like taking them to such an exaggeration that it's a joke. Um, but there's, so there's something literary going on, but like just, just it's strategic and it's analytical and it's clever, um, which is incredibly three. Um, but it also does help take yourself less seriously. And there's, um, a bit of a haha moment to it of like, I'm in on the joke. Like I understand I have a good sense of humor. Um, so you can't necessarily accuse her of like taking herself too seriously because she also does have that wit and cleverness to her too, which is fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's again, it's really, really important to to be able to laugh at yourself. If you can't laugh at yourself, you're not doing well. Like because you know, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, it's good to laugh. Laugh, laughter is 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 always good. Um, yeah. Um, one of the things you wrote about, which which um, which I thought was really important, was about finding your voice and how how sometimes finding your unique voice and speaking out in your unique voice can end up disappointing people. Um, even people who think that they are on your side, people that are advocating for you, people that believe in you. Um, but how important finding your voice is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so important that, um, you know, even in Miss Americana, she's willing to go against the advice of the men in her life even her dad, like, you know, it, it wasn't just that her former record label said, don't do this. And then her new one did. It's that like everyone in her life was saying like, you have to know the risks that you're taking. And, um, you know, just there were people that advised her not to leave country because they didn't really like her pop stuff. And there were people who said, you're never going to sell a million records with this. And she, she knew exactly how to do it and that it did. Um, so, I mean, that's not to say that you eliminate, uh, feedback because she definitely needs some friends who are going to love you for your, who yourself are. Um, you need, you know, the, the squad around you, you know, whatever that looks like in your life. Not everybody's going to have like the girl squad of like these like perfect models or whatever, but, um, you know, you, you seek the attention of these people who seem successful and carry clout in their field. And that maybe isn't the best people to be comparing yourself to that. Uh, for threes, oftentimes it ends up like it did with Taylor is that we get a lot of eating disorders and concern about our own image. And it becomes really triggering for us to um, evaluate our appearance and success in comparison and that sort of thing. What, what are our numbers doing? Um, some of it is wise that you do need feedback from other people, um, especially other people who understand what your life is like. Um, you know, like you, you can't you can't do either way. Brene Brown says um, you've got to learn how to take the input of the people in the arena with you, learn who to trust, who's on your, uh, maybe make an index card of people whose opinion matters to you. Um, and then no one else does like that. You don't, you don't have to be consumed by the opinions of everyone else in the world. Um, you learn who you are and the people who will accept you for who that is. Um, and then besides that, no one else's opinion can really decredit decredentialized you or validate you um, based on their waning, <laughs> waxing and waning opinion of the day. You know, one day you're going to have a headline 
that says, oh, you're the best person in the world. And another day, um, maybe somebody else on your team doesn't think that you're hot stuff. So you just, you can't necessarily like base your worth and value on other people's opinions um, because they're going to change all the time. And then, but you also can't just completely go it alone either. Like you need somebody to give you good feedback and to be a trustworthy person to keep you centered and keep you um, focused on what your values are going to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. That's a really good lesson. I remember that scene in the, in the documentary as well, where, where she's wanting to post this thing on her Instagram and everyone's advising her against it and her dad. And she actually has this conversation with her dad, like, and, um, uh, and tells him, like, look, I know you don't disagree, but this is who I am. This is what I have to do. And she explains why. Uh, and he just gives her a hug. And, the, and it's kind of like, okay, we disagree, but I still love you kind of thing. And she does it, you know, and um, and it does make a difference. So um, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, we just sometimes have to just follow our path. And I remember that Brené Brown stuff. That's brilliant. I always – I've never forgotten that, that you – you have your people, you have your team in a way that you trust and that you know have your best interests at heart and will always tell you the truth uh, no matter what. Uh, and um, you listen to them and them alone. Uh, and uh, you don't worry about what anybody else says. Uh, and you don't always have to follow what they tell you, but you listen to them uh, and you, you respect what they say because they, they're saying they're telling you the truth, basically. They're not telling you what you need to hear or what they what they want you to hear. They're telling you what you actually need to hear. Yeah. Um, so um, I love that from Brené Brown. Yeah. Um, fantastic. <laughs> so what's – okay, just to kind of kind – of, this has been really, really great. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, there's so many lessons that we can learn from Taylor Swift and her own story, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? It's amazing. Um, um, what's, the, what's kind of the biggest lesson that you've learned in your own life from Taylor's journey? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think it is amazing to me as a fellow three wing four that she leans into that four wing and just so honestly shares about her emotions and where she's at. Um, because those songs have really been able to um, be that for me that I can say, this is how I feel. This song is how I feel. And it gives words to my own experiences like uh, tied together with a smile is a big one that helped me um, be able to admit that not everything was as it seemed or, um, you know, there's, I guess there's so many. Um, the most recent one is this is me trying. And so um, as a three, like we, we really want to seem like we have it all together and that we did work hard and our effort was clearly successful. And that's why you should trust us. And instead that song is like, listen, I'm not doing well, but this is the best I have at the moment. And I know it's not good enough, but I'm trying. And this is, this is me trying. This is just what it looks like for me to um, say no to the alcohol today, to drive to the cliff and not jump off and, you know, to, to keep things, um, going forward, even though it's not what quote success or, or, you know, what that would look like to other people. Um, just having that be good enough for today. And we did what we could. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I do love that. I do love that side of her, the vulnerability. How she leans into that. Definitely. Um, it's, I think that's, that's, that makes her really relatable. It makes, 
it allows us to connect with her. And I've seen that especially in, like you say, the last two albums, Folklore and Evermore. I've really sensed that vulnerability in those songs. And I've connected with those songs really deeply, those two albums. Um, yeah, different ones to you, but, but certainly, yeah, but we each have our own stories. So it's, um, we all connect to different songs. And yeah, <laughs> fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, yeah, I think music in general, people. if you're a person, a personality type that has a really hard time connecting with emotions, um, sometimes that can be a therapy tool, which might sound silly, but um, if you're going to therapy or going to pastoral counseling or any sort of relationship that you're in, uh, maybe with your spouse or a, a friend or a boss, and um, just thinking about like, okay, what are the things like that this song is stirring up in me? Why does that? Why does that, why am I feeling that emotion? And then maybe working on how you can put into words um, what these lyrics mean to you. Um, so you can go, you know, if, if you're going to a boss and be like, listen, like I am feeling unappreciated or I am feeling um, that I need to hear from you more clearly. And, you know, we need, we need to talk more. And maybe that wouldn't have occurred to you to communicate it that directly but you heard a song about the man or, you know, <laughs> you heard a song about um, something else or, um, you know, we, of course, romance is really popular because a lot of songs are about romance, but I think friendships can um, really easily apply in a lot of those situations as well. And it's like, listen, this song is about being willing to stay and being willing to fight it out. And I know that we're going to have some conflict, but I want you to know this, that we have a foundation of trust that I'm not going anywhere. So uh, put on your football helmet. We're, we're ready to rumble, you know? <laughs> um, and so I, I think that those, those songs that if you're a person who either feels a lot and can't necessarily express it into words and ways people understand, or that you don't necessarily, like threes particularly um, don't really connect with their emotions very well, three sevens and eights. Um, so I think that that music, whatever, if you love Taylor Swift, if you love the Beatles, you know, Cardi B, whatever it is that um, you're hearing something that you relate to. And like, what is it about that, that um, you can then use to, to, even if you don't reference the song in that conversation, um, using that as fuel to kind of communicate your own emotions more honestly and what you need out of that relationship. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I hope this has been helpful for everyone listening. Um, uh, it does give a whole new spin to a lot of Taylor's music. And I do recommend that documentary on Netflix, uh, Miss Americana. Uh, and of course, listen, and I think actually listening, watching that and then going back and listening to her music again, it's a whole different experience. So I'd recommend that, especially in light of what we've talked about today. So yeah. Uh, and where do people connect with you, Jenna? connect with me on twitter at jenna underscore dewitt and um at my website is invisiblecakesociety.com awesome that's still an awesome website name <laughs> love it love it so much um fantastic okay well thanks for listening everybody and thanks thanks jenna for coming on thank you